Hello, fellow lovers of all things green. I'm Mary Stone, and welcome to Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries. It's not only about gardens, it's about nature's inspirations, about grasping the glories of the world around us, gathering what we learn from Mother Nature, and carrying these lessons into our garden of life. So let's jump in in the spirit of learning from each other. We have lots to talk about. Hello, fellow listeners. It's Mary Stone on the screen porch after a very, very hot walk on the road with Jolie. In fact, we cut it short, very short, because yesterday we did our full almost four miles and she was not good in the afternoon. So note to self, when you wear a fur coat, even though you're young, it affects you even more. So I mentioned in the last episode, which is number 30, episode 30, about attracting toads and frogs to the garden, as well as uh, Frog Watch USA. I mentioned that indeed, Jolie came upon an American toad, and uh, I didn't want to spill the beans as to the outcomes, in anticipation that I was going to share this column, titled Cave Crickets, Benefit to the Garden. And it starts like this. Hello, fellow readers. Jolie came upon an American toad in the lawn to the left of the drainage swale. I'm glad she didn't pounce for the kill, the fate of the cave crickets, though we are grateful for her finesse. Our rescue pup is indeed earning her keep. The darn things adore the basement, with a few wanderers finding their way upstairs. Bringing a curiosity, do cave crickets benefit the garden? I didn't witness firsthand, but Kurt managed a few photos of Jolie crouching down in the let's play mode, eyeing the toad. How did the greeting end, I ask? I led her away, nervous she would get too rough with it. Also called spider crickets, I researched to see if they have an impact or purpose in the garden. As pollinators, perhaps? Not so. However, they provide food for other critters and contribute to the decaying process, I suppose. They hunker down in rotting logs, trees, and compost piles on which they feed. There's a subtitle on the column on the Garden Dilemmas website saying, Tips on keeping cave crickets from invading your home. These are lessons for me, by the way. They hunker down in rotting logs, trees, and compost piles on which they feed. So keep firewood and compost far from your home. They also are fond of dense ground covers like pachysandra and ivy. The best defense is to prevent an invasion by keeping plants and mulch a few feet away from the foundation. Seal any gaps they can enter, such as dryer vents, and remove moisture using a dehumidifier. And boy, do I have one running. <laughs> I actually have two in the basement right now. Our big no-no, don't store boxes in the basement, especially near the walls, as cave crickets love to eat cardboard. I found that out the hard way, let's just say. So habitat of cave crickets is quite fascinating, although, again, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't thinking they were too fascinating when we were inundated with them. Outside, they feed on plants, decaying organic matter, even lawn furniture cushions, and clothing on your clothesline. Oh my goodness. So best not to leave them out overnight. It's their swift, masterful jumping from side to side and backward that made them comical to me but that was before the invasion. Most of the 100 species in the United States and Canada reside east of the Mississippi and are light tan to deep brown. And while some are native, 
One of the most common is the greenhouse camel cricket. I am not going to try to pronounce the name. It's very complicated as far as the scientific name. They're from Asia, first found in the United States in the 19th century in greenhouses, which is why the common name is greenhouse camel cricket, of course. But they date back to prehistoric times, which is so interesting. What appears to be a carving of a female cave cricket from the Tragolophus genus was found on a bison bone in the cave of Troyferrier, I am not pronouncing that well, in the southwest of France, famous for cave art, archaeologists believe dates back to 1300 BC. What resilient creatures! There's a, another tidbit since our last chat about the benefit of frogs and toads. Yesterday, while walking the footbridge over the pond, a hawk was feeding, then quickly flew from Jolie's curiosities. Remnants of the bullfrog were left behind. A sad fate. We enjoyed the chubby fellow who always sat along the pond's edge, blending into the green algae. It's the cycle of life, Kurt said. Which is true. I know it's hard to see some of the carnage that occurs when animals feed off one another, but it is indeed how life works in nature. And while it is, it makes for a heavy heart. Though clearly, there are inconsistencies in my sentiments for cave crickets and our friendly American toad. Garden Dilemmas? AskMaryStone.com so just last night, I got an email from Ken Roberts. I'm not sure I mentioned previously that he and I sing at the uh, Karen N. Quinlan Home for Hospice each Friday. I was asked to uh, provide some music therapy, which is uh, a grand name. There are professionals that actually provide music therapy. But uh, anyway, I was trying to do this with an iPad and a jam box, and I was really floundering all over myself. and so. I had heard about Ken, who visits every Friday at 2. I call him the famous Ken because all the patients and families would always just marvel over him. And um, he was so gracious and so kind. And I watched him do his thing. And he's got binders and binders of music. He is so amazing in terms of how much depth of music background he has, and the roots of which are bluegrass, which I said to Ken, that's the origin of my brother Bill's love for music. I've spoken to you about my brother Bill and the lesson of the leaf. But anyway, Ken sent me an email with a photograph of his cave crickets. And I'm going to add it to my column as we speak because they are really voluptuous. Really voluptuous. But I have to share what he wrote me. Hi, partner. Hope you're surviving the hot weather. Today was grim. Tried to do some yard work, but gave up and sat in front of the fan. I reviewed your last few columns, and now I know about frogs and toads and cave crickets and blue jays and mulch. Enclosed is a picture of some of my cave crickets. I have hundreds of them, but when I open the recycle shed, most of them flee. I think they're kind of funny. <laughs> they are funny. They are funny until they take over. And so I wrote back, Hey, partner. It's been a heck of a heat wave, and I've had the privilege of working out in it, placing plants. Holy moly, let's just say it's a good thing tomorrow. I won't have to be outside before our time together. That's a very cool photo of your voluptuous cave crickets. I used to think they were kind of funny, too, cartoonish, really, until thousands of them decided to take up residence in the basement a few years back. Kurt tackled the dilemma with spray cans of nasty chemicals in hand and described how they jumped all over him. 
It sounded like a sci-fi thriller. Not that I ever watched such things. Too scary. Now we have only a few unwelcome guests, and Mary, the bug saver, no longer saves them by releasing the invaders to the outside world. The darn things will likely bounce back to the basement. Icky poo. <laughs> Speaking of Ken's talents, he writes songs from time to time. I encourage him to write more because they are so good. And a column titled, May Apple of My Eye, inspired one of the songs that he recently wrote, titled Mandrakes, which is another name for May Apple. So if I may share a column titled, May Apple of My Eye. While walking along the Pawanskill Rail Trail the last few weeks, this takes place in the spring, just give you a point of reference, a low-lying plant that lines the sooty path in the shadier spots has caught my eye. Mayapple is a native perennial, a desirable one, unbeknownst to me while planting my first comprehensive perennial garden two decades ago. Now they are in bloom, although not noticeably as the flowers are hidden from view unless you look for them by leaning down or lifting the leaf. Why are mayapples the apple of my eye? The charming plants look like swaths of glistening umbrellas or large shiny shamrocks. Maybe why this big kid adores them, imagining woodland fairies hiding below. There's a poem that shares the sentiment. Down in the shady woodland where fern fronds are unfurled, a host of green umbrellas are swiftly now unfurled. Do they shelter fairy people from sudden pelting showers? Or are the leaves but sunshades to shield the waxen flowers? That was written by Minnie Curtis Waite in 1901. And my dear friend Ken Roberts turned that lovely poem into a song that I would like to share here. are uncurled A host of green umbrellas are swiftly now unfurled Do they shelter fairy people from sudden pelting showers Or are the leaves but sunshade the waxen flowers are the leaves but sunshades to shield the waxen flowers Shelter fairy people from 
sudden pelting shells Where are the leaves but sunshades To shield the waxen flowers Are the leaves but sunshades To shield the waxen flowers Isn't that just lovely? There's something magical about Mayapple. The Mayapple of my eye. Why is the common name Mayapple anyway? Maybe because they're widely admired? The apple, the pupil, has become a metaphor for something precious. And Mayapple is an ideal background plant for a shady garden, which I learned about in a roundabout way. My debut perennial garden was a shade garden, an endeavor that coincided with adopting my very first couple of pups, Sadie and Sarah. I lived in Booton Township then, along the Rockaway River here in New Jersey. The swath of Mayapple took up much of the chosen garden spot. I should have kept it there to serve as a background plant, had I known about the intriguing native plant. Mayapple, Potophyllum peltatum, is a woodland perennial plant found along shady riverbanks, roadsides, and fields from northeastern Northern America to Texas in zones 3 to 8. And you can buy them from suppliers of native wildflower plants. They grow from shallow rhizomes, usually in thick colonies. Rhizomes are underground stems. Each upright branch rises 12 to 18 inches from the ground, often with only one but sometimes two leaves, with five to nine lobes that measure up to a foot across. If you yank them, as I sadly did, you'll uncover the dark reddish-brown tubers below. So what do they say about regret? Let's not burden our remembrance with the heaviness that's gone, a saying Shakespeare made famous. The Magical May Apple is a subtitle in the column on the Garden Dilemmas website. Other than the berry, all parts of mayapple are poisonous, containing toxin, highly toxic if consumed in large quantities, yet Native Americans used it as a cathartic to cleanse the bowel, amongst other things. Today it's an ingredient in prescription drugs. Curiously, only stems with two leaves will flower, and only one adorable white waxy flower with a dainty yellow center will develop, hidden below the umbrella leaves. Then it turns into a lemon-shaped yellow fruit, though sometimes it's pinkish or purplish, that ripens from August to September. They say the berry grows two inches long, though I've never come upon them, maybe because others have snagged them to make jam or jelly. It's true, I have not seen them. I did find one that was about an inch long, the berry, and I put that photo on the Garden Dilemma site. It's a cute little bulbous little thing. There's a punchline about my first garden. I had no idea that the natural spray I chose to fend off deer would also appeal to the couple of pups. Bobex, at the time, smelled like a dead animal, on which dogs loved to roll to hide their scent from predators. I think I mentioned before that I had never had dogs before. I actually feared them, so I was not an experienced dog owner at the time. It's the wolf instinct, so they say, 
Maybe they've changed the formula since. I don't think they have, though. Bob X, again, I think still smells like a dead animal. It's very effective, though, very effective. And once it dries, it doesn't smell bad at all. But of course, I didn't wait for that before letting the puppies drop and roll. We learn, don't we, as time goes on? The deer didn't devastate the new garden, but the pups rolling them flat sure did. But I have no regrets. Mostly you regret things you did not do. That's a proverb quote. So what I did do is switch to a different spray. Deer out with a much more pleasing clove oil scent. Garden Dilemmas? AskMaryStone.com I look forward to chatting again from the screen porch, and I look forward to hearing from you. If you wouldn't mind emailing me at askmarystone at gmail.com, I invite your questions or comments and suggestions. And if you wouldn't mind, if you could share the podcast with your friends and the column as well, if you've enjoyed it, and I hope they will enjoy it as well, so that more of us can learn about how gardens and nature heal and grow our lives. See you next time. You can follow Garden Dilemmas on Facebook or online at GardenDilemmas.com and on Instagram at hashtag Mary Elaine Stone. Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries is produced by Alex Bartling. Thanks for coming by. I look forward to chatting again from my screen porch. And always remember to embrace the unexpected in this garden of life. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.